Welcome to the Castalia podcast. My name is Isla Ratcliffe. I'm a Scottish fiddle player and I have just released my debut album, The Castalia. In this podcast, I interview musicians from Cape Breton, an island on the east coast of Canada with a rich traditional music culture, thanks to the many Scots who emigrated in the 18th and 19th centuries. I was very lucky to spend four months in Cape Breton, a life-changing experience that inspired my album. It is the people behind Cape Breton music who make it so special. This is why I have created this podcast, to give you the chance to meet them. It's always the bad stories that pop in my head when somebody (laughs) says, share a good road story, but I immediately like, (laughs) I'm like, I can't tell that one. Today, I'm chatting to Chrissy Crowley, a fiddle player from Cape Breton. She performs and records both as a solo artist and with her band Coig. Chrissy and I played tunes together every Wednesday evening at the session at the Governor's Pub in Sydney. Since I was a little girl, I loved watching the step dancers. Uh, In complete honesty, I didn't like the fiddle. I loved the dance. And once I started playing the fiddle, eventually I finally grew to love it. We ended up starting to play the fiddle myself. And and I always think of the dancing when I play. And you, you know, when you were here, you can really feel that heavy downbeat. And there's such a strong pulse in Cape Breton fiddle music. And I think that's what I love first and foremost. And then keeping that in mind, the highest rated Cape Breton fiddle players aren't the most technically proficient. They're the best ones to dance to. So that was like my key growing curve uh, when I started playing was to focus on the rhythm of the music more so than the technical proficiency of what you're playing. Why do you play music? So I grew up in a family of fiddle players, lots of Gaelic singers, bagpipers, piano players, you name it. But I think I was a little ignorant to that side of my family and and the musical heritage because a lot of the fiddlers had passed away or they had retired from playing. And my sister Megan started dating a piano player and he would bring fiddlers to the house. And that's when I, I think I just got really up close and personal with it instead of just being a little kid running around at square dances. That was the first time that I was right in front of a fiddle player and I really got to feel the music. And that's when I started playing. And then I found out about this family lineage that I'm coming from. So no pressure when you're just a little girl and think you're going to play the fiddle for fun. And then you find out you have hundreds of players in your family and they're all watching for you. Interesting how it can sometimes be that one moment that really just inspires you to to play. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that it just skipped my parents. My parents are the kind of people they can go on an eight hour drive and not turn on the radio. They love music and they appreciate it, but they're just not necessarily musical people. It seemed to skip them. Yeah. What is your favorite musical memory? It's so hard to pick one, but I would say collectively, my favorite thing about being a touring musician is you know, there's all of these legends in your mind, these musical heroes. And then when you're touring around and you're doing these festivals, you often get put on a stage together or you're hanging out in the back room together and you realize that your legends are just everyday people like yourself. Um, Some of them are as big of a donkey as I am. (laughs) And getting to hang out with all of those people and play music together and have laughs, you know, all those Celtic colors, late night festival clubs. Shetland Festival is one of the all time favorite festivals I've ever done, yeah. What is your favorite tune? What's funny, I was thinking about this earlier. The tunes that I loved when I first started 
aren't necessarily my favorite tunes now. My tastes have changed quite a bit over the years. You know, when I first started, I would have been listening to, say, Natalie McMaster and Asha McIsaac, a lot of the more contemporary tunes. So those really old ones, say some of the Scott Skinner tunes, those weren't the ones that I wanted to learn at that time. And now those are the ones I'm gravitating towards. So it just seems like my tastes keep changing. So I have no idea what my favorite tune is anymore. I don't know who I am anymore, Isla. (laughs) Well, I'm going to ask you that in this podcast. So (laughs) maybe by the end, you'll have figured it out. (laughs) I think it's healthy for taste to change, though. It is, right? And it it makes sense in that as you're traveling around as a musician too, you're getting exposed to different things. So I find I've been attracted to a lot of the uh, Quebecois, the French Acadian tunes. I'm starting to gravitate in that direction. Who knows? Maybe I'll be a Mexican Celtic fiddle player by next year when we talk. (laughs) (laughs) That would be very cool. One of the, you know, traveling highlights, and it just shows how far Celtic music has spread. I got to go to a couple of different Celtic festivals in um, Mexico and Cuba. And it, it, you know, makes perfect sense. The music, of course, traveled from Spain to there. But it was so amazing to go to these places that I think is like my vacation destination and then see a bunch of bagpipers marching down the street. And that was an incredible experience. Wow. I know it just proves it is all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, before we delve into kind of the fiddle styles that um, you most enjoy playing, could you pretend that you're speaking to someone who doesn't know anything about Cape Breton traditional music and explain what it is? So when I first started playing the Cape Breton fiddle, in my mind it was Cape Breton fiddle, and I noticed a lot of my relatives always said Scotch fiddle. What you realize is all of this music is coming from the motherland of Scotland. And it's primarily that old Highland style that we're still able to play today. Cape Breton um, geographically was isolated for so many years. We didn't even have a causeway connecting us to the mainland until the 1950s. So we were able to really maintain and protect this style. And it's something they're still actively doing today. And you often hear some of the uh, older traditional crowds saying, oh, you know, the music is changing and we got to really protect the old tunes. That's what they always say. But I think um, what's neat about the Cape Breton style is it's coming from Scotland, but the two of them have evolved a bit differently. And Cape Breton is so heavily influenced by the step dancing. That's where that really aggressive bowing comes from. It's to really accent those damn beats because the step dancers want to accent those as well. So the fiddle music and the step dance, they're one in the same. They're very much tied together. So you wouldn't often have one without the other. So everything about our style when you're learning, it's all about pleasing the step dancers. You want to be a good dance player more than anything. Mm. And the piano style in Cape Breton is also very unique. It's wild. Um, I was so fortunate that growing up playing, I always learned and performed with Jason Roach. He taught me a lot of my first tunes and he's his own beast. He is like a karate kid on the piano. He's just constantly attacking it. And uh, it's a very heavy left hand, a lot of moving bass lines, and then a very quick moving right hand where a lot of piano players would say the left hand is almost more important than the right hand. The right hand's just adding those in-between accents, but it's all about that heavy. A lot of people say it reminds them when they're coming to Cape Breton for the first time, it makes them think of honky-tonk piano, that kind of style. 
Yeah, and it is so distinct as well. It's, I mean, I, I totally fell in love with it when I was there. Mm -hmm. It's like you say, it really does drive the music and that rhythm is so important. It's such a foundation. Um, a lot of people, you know, kind of put the weight on the fiddler when they're first listening to the music. They'll say, oh, that's a great fiddler. And then once they get to know the fiddler and they see them play with different piano players, they realize the importance of the piano player. The piano player is absolutely the foundation. They're almost like a freight train. And as a fiddler, you can hop on that train and they'll just carry you along for the ride. And that's why the style of piano playing is so important. Learning how to create that pocket for the fiddler to sit in, if that makes sense. Um, you know, a really good piano player would have a really big pocket that you can go in and out of, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. So you play fiddle, but you also said that you started off doing step dance. Do you still step dance? I do still step dance. It's funny. Um, my little sister and I were in step dance together and uh, she wasn't quite as big of a fan of it as I was and uh, she wound up pulling out of it and I just kind of carried on with it and now she's starting to get into it I'm trying to get her to play the fiddle too but uh, baby steps right <laughs> um, so I still step dance I wouldn't say I'm a fantastic step dancer by any means it's just something I do a little bit I would think of myself as a fiddler first and foremost most of the fiddlers here though almost everybody does a little bit of step dancing yeah, that's something that I noticed it is very common. And do you find that playing fiddle and also step dancing yourself helps you to play for dancers? It does. And some people would go so far as to say that you should learn Gaelic to really master the Cape Breton style. I do not speak Gaelic. I would love to learn it, but I you often hear people say, ah, oh, there's Gaelic and they're fiddling and that's why they're a good fiddler. So I find, you know, learning step dancing has really improved my playing for step dancers, but some would say I should take it further and learn some Gaelic because then you would have the proper Gaelic in your fiddling too. Mm. And by Gaelic, I mean Gaelic, of course. <laughs> Great. Well, I'd like to chat now about the different kind of styles of fiddling that you play because I remember, so the first time that I met you was at Governor's Pub and you were playing with Mario for the afternoon Kaylee. I think it's called. Yeah. I was there and I just like, I, I could have listened to you for hours. It was just so, so good. It was just that really raw, traditional Cape Breton fiddle and piano. And it was just completely fell in love with it. But then I remember, I've never actually told you this before, but I actually wrote an essay at CBU about one of the tracks on your album. <laughs> the, um, what was the track? Oh God. Don't worry, it's a complimentary essay. Did you essay. fail? <laughs> No, no, all good. <laughs> it was um, your track Step Dance Set on your album Last Night's Fun from 2013. And um, I think because I'd heard you play at Governor's and just totally fell in love with your fiddle style and then went to hear your album and found that actually your album was more contemporary than what I'd heard you play in Governor's. Is that fair to say? Yes. I get really excited in the studio because I do so many of these traditional Kayleys where it's always just me and a piano player and they're never rehearsed, they're never arranged. The idea is you're always playing off the cuff and, and you never play the same sets from gig to gig. And that's where a lot of the energy comes from. In the music scene in Scotland, you know that improvising creates a lot of energy. So when I get in the studio, I want to arrange and I want to try to write stuff because it's just, you know, a different medium of music for me. They're almost like different worlds. 
So when I get in there, I tend to overdo it with the arrangements. And it's funny because some of the uh, older crowd, they'll buy a CD and then they'll tell me the next day, you know, that's not how you played last night. And I'm like, no, it's no, it's not. <laughs> oh, well, I loved both. I just find it so fascinating that there's two different styles that you're you're equally at home in both. Do you find that it's a kind of conscious decision which style you're playing? It is. And it's it's also very difficult to try to keep keep a foot in both because as a traditional player, I don't want contemporary to affect my traditional Kaylee playing because Cape Bretoners love that Cape Breton style and they don't want you to play. I've actually had people say no fancy tunes today and I'll go, I promise no fancy tunes today. You know, it's it's almost like uh, for lack of a better term, meat and potatoes, they want just the traditional foundation music. So you try to balance that and you try to not let each other <laughs> affect the other. Mm-hmm. So in the studio, I'm much more conscious of trying to find a balance between them. And that's what the step dance set is to me. I wanted to do the structure of a traditional set. So just a Strass Bay into reels. So I I think the medium for me on that set was to to focus on the chords and the supporting instruments, say the drums and the bass and all that, kind of let them go in a more contemporary direction, but let the tunes just stay as the tunes. Does that make mm. sense? No, no mixing up the rhythms or adding different measures or beats. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so you've got your own solo albums, but you also play with Koig. Could you tell us a bit about your band? Coeg is the same identity crisis as Chrissy Crowley in the studio, just trying to find a balance always between traditional and contemporary. Coeg is a little more on the folk side of things when it comes to song arrangements. You'll notice um, in Cape Breton, there's still um, a handful of Gaelic singers, but not as many as there used to be. So people, when they think of Cape Breton fiddle music, they tend to think the instrumental music. So doing songs with Coeg, that was the first time I really started arranging um, in terms of song. I don't sing. I am an absolutely horrific singer. You never want to hear me sing, but I'm very lucky that we have two vocalists in Coeg who have beautiful voices. So it was really nice, you know, getting to work on an arrangement, but also making that it doesn't interfere with their vocal capacity or change the structure of the song too much. I guess what I'm saying is I tried to approach it not so much as an instrumentalist because we know as instrumentalists it's really easy to go crazy on arrangements and make it a little too fiddle heavy or a little too noty you know i could make the whole song a solo you know (laughs) and how did coeg farm how did you all meet this is maybe this is why um i'm so partial to shetland we we were put together to promote celtic colors at home here in cape breton and we were touring around the New England area, so Maine, New Hampshire, um, down the eastern seaboard of the states, basically. So we were called A Taste of Celtic Colors. It was just to promote the festival at home. But we had so much fun playing together. We said, you know, anytime we can get on the stage together, let's do it. So we got on stage at the Celtic Colors Festival Club. And Davey Henderson was there from Shetland. And he said, do you want to come to Shetland? And we said, well, we're not really a band. And he goes, get a band name, come to Shetland. So that was our first big festival. Wow. And that's how we became a band. That is a lovely story. And did you all know each other already then, having grown up in Cape Breton? We did. So Rachel and I met when we were 12. We had both started playing the fiddle. And our our grandparents basically called each other and said, they're playing the fiddle. They have to be best friends now. Thankfully, it wasn't too forced. We did naturally become friends as well. 
We were members of the Cape Breton Fiddlers Association, which is obviously why we were voted most popular in high school. (laughs) And uh, just kept playing tunes together. So we've known each other for years. And then uh, I was playing with Jason Roach quite a bit since the day I started, really. And Darren was a friend of Colin Grant's. Colin was playing with Jason. So Darren was sort of the newer face to me in the band, but we had met before that. And then we just, yeah, it was like a a little lightning bolt. Everybody just connected musically and we went on from there. Brilliant. Well, I must say it is fantastic music. So anyone who hasn't heard your albums, go and check them out. And I remember seeing you live in Glasgow. That was one of the last live gigs I went to at the start of 2020 before the whole world went crazy. (laughs) So So crazy. Yeah. And did you manage to finish that tour? I can't remember. So we went to Australia and we got about halfway through the Australian tour and then uh, cases of COVID were popping up and then they wound up sending us home. And at the time we were thinking, oh, this might be a couple months. And Mac Morin, I will always give Mac Morin, uh, Cape Breton piano player, credit for this. He said, I think this is going to go on for a couple of years. And he was like, oh, Mac, you're crazy. He was right. He was bang on. Yeah, he was. Yep. Unfortunately. <laughs> so if you need any predictions, go yes. to Mac Morin. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so you've toured internationally quite a bit with Coig. When you were talking about how in Cape Breton you adapt your style to suit what audiences want, do you do the same when you're touring internationally with Coig or is it always the same? You know what, Coig, no, we always, you know, however we arranged it that day, that's what goes on the album and that's what gets toured live. We might tweak the set list depending on the area. You know, there's some... Say uh, Doogie McLean, we do a couple of Doogie McLean songs in the show. So we always make sure we do those in Scotland. We're trying to win some brownie points, you know, of course. So just minor tweaks like that. It's mostly in um, the verbal delivery on stage. When we're in Belgium and areas like that, we'll slow the speed of our talking. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. Great. I think it's more in our individual stuff. That's when the tailoring happens, like I said, in the traditional Kaylee environment. And then um, on the other side of things, when tourists are coming to the island, we might play slightly different than we would for the traditional crowd here. So it might be a little bit faster. It might be a bit more of a modern arrangement. I do um, cruise ship Kaylee's now, now and then down in Sydney. And those ones have always been a bit of a hybrid. So I'll do half contemporary, half traditional. Cool. And the other context that I met you in was at sessions at Governors. And I remember I found Cape Breton sessions really interesting because they're, well, just noticing how, how they're similar to and slightly different from sessions in Scotland. One of the main differences being that each tune is really only played twice and then you're on to the next one um (laughs) which took me a while to get used to (laughs) i think the first time i led a set at a session i've played a tune round quite a few times and i was like oh no okay (laughs) twice is enough (laughs) it's funny i don't i don't know why we were slow on the uptake of sessions you know it, it was always prominent in the the pockets of irish music here on the island um, so although Cape Breton is predominantly Scottish style, there are definitely pockets of Irish again, and there's pockets of Acadian music, and there's Mi'kmaq music. So the Irish 
always had sessions, but it's not something the Scottish fiddlers really latched onto there for a long time. So sessions are still new to me. Um, they're starting to grow. There's more and more every year. And I think just where for so long, it was almost like an individual performance. So we had tons of kitchen parties, but it tended to be one fiddler at a time and then everybody might play together at the end. I think that's why tunes are generally only played twice at a session because it, it's just kind of coming from that performance aspect. We're forgetting that some people still have to catch on and learn the tune. And I know that's what a lot of fiddlers have expressed to me or frustrating about the Cape Breton session because you only get to hear it twice and then it's the next tune. So a lot of people don't have a chance to learn it. Mm. Yeah. On the other hand, though, you can hear and learn loads of tunes in one night because there's so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You can pick up your whole repertoire yeah. in one night. <laughs> and so do you often lead the sessions at Governor's? It's kind of a mix. The last two years, I haven't been um, been able to. I bought a house um, in my hometown of Marguerite, so I grew up here and then lived in Sydney for a while there. And now that I'm back here, it's not quite as easy to get back and forth. But And, and then, of course, COVID ruined everything. <laughs> but I would usually go in, say, once a month. So they kind of alternated between a couple of people. But keeping in mind, sessions are still semi-new here. I know the Rollies one went on for a long time, but at least the Cape Breton Scottish style of session, that's relatively new. So there aren't that many people hosting right now. So that's why they usually had the same four people cycle through. Mm, okay, that makes sense. And am I right that it was an Irish exchange student who started the session at Governors? I didn't even know who started it, but that makes sense yeah. now. Of course it was an Irish person that started <laughs> I, I was in contact with her. I can't remember her name now. Um, no, I loved that session. It was really, really good fun. Really friendly. And yeah, yeah. having that Cape Breton piano there is just, yes. it really drives the whole thing. It's amazing how you can have 10 different fiddlers playing like completely different grooves. Um, sometimes different tunes at the same time but the piano is so big that it can lock everybody back together so everybody starts to kind of like go like this in different directions and then say it's Adam on the piano he just kind of grabs everybody and brings them back in. Very true <laughs> and the other thing that I loved about sessions in Cape Breton which we don't really get in Scotland is the step dancing that someone can just get up and do some steps which is yeah. really lovely to see. One of my um, favorite moments on the road, I was in Ontario and we were, you know, I'm coming from the Cape Breton side of things. So there's always dancers getting up during a show. And generally they, you know, they have their, their routine and they might tweak it a bit, but the, the tune structure tends to stay the same. So say it's reels, you'll have your reel steps and then you might switch them a little bit around the reel. But for the most part, the tune isn't changing different time signatures or anything like that. So I went to Ontario for the uh, Leahy Music Camp. I was teaching out there. And there, I think it would be the, one of the Leahy's niece, Emily Flack is her name. And Louis Schreier was doing a bunch of different tunes. So he started with a waltz, and then he went into a polka, then reels, and then he was in a bunch of different things. And she was dancing to all of it perfectly in sync with the tune. She was basically doing a live dance routine improvising I just thought that was so amazing that's something I would I could never do as the step dancer and I'm just I think that Ottawa Valley style the way they can do that is just so incredible yeah yeah it's the improvising aspect of it 
that I found mm-hmm. really quite impressive. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's quite a skill. And going back to what you said about how you've got a family lineage of musicians, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so my great uncle Angus is probably the most well-known fiddler in the family, Angus Chisholm. He uh, lived down in Boston there for a while and he used to enter all the fiddle competitions down there. Fiddle competitions aren't really a thing in Cape Breton. Um, They do happen in Atlantic Canada, but it's more like an old time style. There's not a lot of the Cape Breton Scottish style for competitions. So Angus would go and enter in those down in the US and he was an amazing fiddler, but he would have passed away. I think it was the seventies or eighties, so long before I was born. And then my grandfather, his brother, Archie Neal, was not so technically proficient, but he was the preferred dance player. And I always thought that was really amazing. So you have two brothers playing the fiddle. One is the contest winner. He's got all the tricks and the fancy licks, you know what I mean? And then you have the other one who's the at-home favorite because he could play for dances and he was a machine at dances, apparently. He could just play like, he would go for 40 minutes straight and not break a sweat. And his, his timing was apparently impeccable you could set a metronome and when he finished the set he was still at that exact tempo and i find that so amazing but he passed away when i was five so i i never got to really meet um or get to know them as fiddlers either you know when i think of my grandfather i think of he would sing songs and stuff like that to us he was you know always sharing music but he couldn't play the fiddle at that point anymore so i wish so much i could go back in time and see him play a square dance but I have all the tapes, which are great. People are really good for sharing, you know, behind me here, that big, (laughs) ugly green dresser is just full of cassette tapes. I probably have the biggest cassette tape collection for a (laughs) 30-year-old. That's lovely. That's really, really nice. It reminds me because my grandpa was a really good piano player and we did have a cassette of him playing. But then annoyingly, when I was... I, I must have been about five years old. Our car was broken into and someone stole the cassette. And so now we have no record oh. of his playing at all. And when I was born, by that time, he'd got quite bad arthritis. So he wasn't really playing much anymore. I know how much a cassette can mean. <laughs> and so do you feel, I mean, I know that you joked about um, no pressure continuing that lineage, but do you feel that you are kind of continuing something <laughs> or...? <laughs> I do, and I feel like I would never ever describe myself as a technically proficient fiddle player, but I feel like I I might be a bit of the in-between my grandfather, Archie Neal and Angus. I really want to be a good dance player. That's probably first and foremost. I want step dancers to feel good when they're dancing to my music, but I love to throw in twisty things. You know, that's where, you know, most of my albums come from. And I feel that was Angus. I feel like Angus, you know, the reason he wanted to travel around so much and dive into these different styles of music is because he had a natural pull towards that. So I'm hoping that I can find the middle ground in between them, though I wouldn't say I'm going to go win a bunch of fiddle contests anytime soon like Angus. The idea of competing and being judged makes me want to pass out. (laughs) Yeah, and then um, my cousin Maybell is a piano player and you know, as as somebody who doesn't play the piano, I don't want to, you know, pretend I, I know what I'm talking about here, but I can tell you what other people have told me about Mabel, which is, uh, you know, when she first started, 
in those days, um, it was a lot of the old pump organs playing the piano. So it, was ju- it tended to just be the three chords um, within a tune because the modern piano lends itself better to those fast moving styles. So it would have been a pretty basic style in those days. And then Maybell started playing the piano. You know, the people started, it, it sounds like such a big thing. And I'm sure people listening to this would laugh. But, you know, when the upright piano started to arrive in Cape Breton, things got wild. Then, <laughs> And Maybell was sitting there and she said, well, why are people only using three chords when there's so many keys on this giant piano? And supposedly she is the one that started you know, really moving up and down and all those little trills that she does. You always see her hand kind of move like this when she's playing and it's because she loves her little twinkles on the piano. One theory somebody told me was that in like the Sydney Glace Bay area, especially, they would have been picking up American radio. So they would have been hearing honky tonk piano and they think the two styles kind of melded themselves together. And, you know, having access to a piano with all those lovely keys, I Supposedly, Maybell helped define what the current Cape Breton style is today. Wow. And I think that's pretty amazing. That's my cousin. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess on the fiddle, we're using all four strings and all the fingers. So <laughs> why not do the same on piano? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems that there are quite a few different influences then in your music, your family's music, and then there's also different fiddle styles from various places. What would you say your influences are at the moment? I mentioned before, I'm really gravitating towards the French style of music right now, the old Acadian songs as well. My grandmother, so Archie Neal's wife, Margaret, she was from Shetty Camp, which is an Acadian village just down the road from Marguerite where I live. And she was a French speaker. So I feel like I'm trying to give a little bit more time to that side of the family as well and get to understand um, my French Acadian heritage. And on the other side of the family, my dad is actually from Newfoundland and where Cape Breton, you know, saw a lot more Scottish settlement, Newfoundland saw a lot more Irish settlement. So my grandfather on my dad's side was, he actually has a cassette tape and it's called The Singing Sailor. And he was the kind of guy everybody would have at a party and he could play everything, you know, accordion and mandolin and fiddle. And he loved to sing. He made the tape just for himself. He just wanted to know what it was like to record in the studio. It was never meant to be sold, but it's great. So I'm trying to pay a little bit more attention to my Newfoundland heritage as well and get to know some of their tunes. The the timing is wild. They have a lot of what they call crooked tunes. So you'll you'll think you're safe and that it's normal real and then suddenly a bar of three will come at you and then a bar of seven it's wild i love it that is great i don't think i've ever heard any newfoundland music so maybe that's what i should listen to next (laughs) it's absolutely worth a listen and then you know on the other side of things i think i scare people sometimes when they get in the car with me because they assume that i'm gonna play fiddle music and then suddenly it's like beyonce and jay-z cranked (laughs) (laughs) I there's nothing I don't really listen to the only style of music and maybe I'll go to hell for saying this I just can't get into new country I'm trying my best because I live in Marguerite if they don't like fiddle music chances are they're listening to new country I just yeah it's growing pains I'm gonna have to keep trying here and so what's coming up next you're back Koig was touring recently so you're back to international tours now yeah, so we uh, we managed, thank God, 
to do the UK in November, right before our Omicron hit, managed to finish the whole month long tour. And then we came home and we did, we always do a Christmas tour. Um, Christmas music was another learning curve for sure. I love Christmas. My family loves any, any time the family can get together, we're happy, but we're not Christmas music people. <laughs> so when Darren and Rachel wanted to do a Christmas CD with Coeg, it was a little bit like pulling teeth, but then I, I fell in love. I'm like the Grinch. My heart just grew three sizes and I fell in love. So yeah, we wound up doing two Christmas CDs actually. Um, so we did a Christmas tour um, in December through the U.S. And we're off to British Columbia and Alberta on the western side of Canada this March. It must be bad, nice to be back on the road again. It is. I did a, <laughs> it's either a really dumb thing or a really smart thing. When COVID hit and suddenly, you know, I had an empty calendar and there's nothing to be at. I decided to go back to school for an accounting degree. And I think I'm going to see it through. It's it's definitely for any uh, musicians out there or budding business professionals, being able to do your own finances and handle your own books is definitely a great thing. I might see it through, but I find the juggle starting to get a little crazy for sure. Mm. I did wonder when you said that you were at uni, I was like, oh, what are you studying? <laughs> <laughs> You'd think it'd be music, but nope. <laughs> and from doing so many international tours with Koig, you must have lots of good stories of being on the road with them it's always the bad stories that pop in my head when somebody <laughs> says share a good road story I immediately like <laughs> I'm like I can't tell that one but we're we're really lucky we still we just can't believe that Celtic music reaches so far it's still wild to us that somebody wanted to go here a Cape Breton band play Celtic music in Australia that's amazing and we're so lucky that we've got to travel so much and go to so many places. What's wild is there's Cape Bretoners everywhere. Is that every one of these big festivals, somebody will come up and go, I I was walking by and I heard Cape Breton. And then who are you? And then we'll find out we're like 16th cousins <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah. That's lovely. And where would you like to tour next that you haven't been already? Where would be your dream place to tour it can be as obscure as you like anywhere in asia i would just love yeah somewhere say um china or japan i think that that would be su such a different culture i would love to go down there we've had a couple of people send us clips of uh sessions in japan and they're playing koig tunes at the session in Japan and that's I just it's so amazing the world's such a small and giant place at the same time oh that is really lovely <laughs> Chrissy it's been a pleasure chatting to you again two years on from when I last saw you um so thank you so much for coming on this podcast you're welcome thank you so much for having me Thank you so much to Chrissy for taking the time to chat to me about her music and of course a big thanks to you for being with us you can find Chrissy's music at chrissycrowley.com. If you would like to buy my album, The Castalia, it is available on Bandcamp or at my website, islaratcliffe.com. See you next time.